Well, once again, good morning. It's good to be with you today on Christmas. So Merry Christmas to you. Uh, I did a, a quick Google search to see when the next time Christmas is on a Sunday. And it's like a decade from now. So, you know, what a cool opportunity to uh, be able to gather uh, together this morning. Uh, my name is Gabe Etzel. I, I serve as one of the elders here at uh, Christ Covenant Fellowship. And we want to, uh, once again, just welcome you. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. I know a lot of people are traveling. I know some of you are new faces to uh, the congregation or the gathering this morning. It's great to have you here. I know Christmas and the holidays can be a time where, um, you know, people are, are traveling, doing different things. I hope that you have electricity where you are. If not, let's talk. And uh, we can uh, try to help you out. But uh, this morning, again, kind of a unique time to gather on Christmas morning, uh, the very day that we celebrate the birth of our Savior, uh, to gather as a church family and be able to do that. I know uh, many of you probably have opened up some gifts. Um, I have three teenagers at, at, at our house, so we have not yet opened up gifts. Um, we might just take them back, I guess. I don't know. Uh, don't tell the little one that. But um, So I guess we're doing that afterwards. But uh, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read the Christmas story and spend a little bit of time uh, talking through the significance of the birth of Christ. Uh, the title of the message this morning is The Reality of Christ's Arrival. As Pastor Tyler mentioned, we've been uh, um, recognizing Advent, uh, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, as we talk about the Advent or the arrival of Christ. And so this morning, I want to just spend a little bit, little bit of time talking about why that is so significant in our lives. And, and I will admit, uh, having just sung three really theologically rich Christmas songs, uh, I could probably pray and then we could just go home because uh, there really was uh, powerful messages in those songs. Uh, the older I get, I think the more I appreciate the depth of theology that we see in some of those. So thank you. Uh, to the praise team, to the music team for uh, those selections. But uh, let's read, uh, I'm going to read Luke chapter 2. Uh, so turn there, Luke chapter 2, uh, 1 through 21. Uh, this morning, I'm not going to preach verse by verse uh, down through that like we often do. We would be here for quite a while. But I do want to draw out um, just some things from the text that I think are so important for us today. So let me read. Uh, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 21. <clears throat> In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, 
who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to gather this morning. What a unique time it is to celebrate the birth of Christ on Christmas Day here as a church family. God, I ask that you would be with us as we look at your text, God. May our hearts be open to what you would have for us. May we have conviction where needed. May we be encouraged where needed. And may we leave this place more committed to the truth of the gospel and the changed lives that it brings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, I'm not a Scrooge necessarily, not the Grinch, uh, but if you ask my family, they'd probably say I have an uh, interesting maybe relationship or view of Christmas itself, and I've been trying to process through why that is. I, I love, honestly, to talk about the incarnation, the Word becoming flesh, uh, but I find myself, when it comes to the Christmas season, being a little hesitant at times to enter into maybe the joy of the season as often presented. Uh, I would probably not be described as holly and jolly um, or merry and bright necessarily uh, for numerous reasons perhaps with the bright uh, aspect of that. However, uh, I do deeply love the significance in studying the incarnation of Jesus. And so uh, this morning, uh, what I want to do is hopefully put aside some of, the, um, some of the commercialization of Christmas, maybe, I-, I think is maybe a good way to say that, and look, as I said, at the reality of what has been accomplished and what is accomplished through the coming of Christ in human flesh. All right? So really have two points this morning. Uh, Both of them uh, deal with this aspect of reality. The first point is the reality of our mess, and the second point is the reality of Christ's mission, okay? (coughs) I apologize for my coughing. had a cold two weeks ago. It it won't leave me alone, but okay, we'll make it through. All right, so the reality of our mess. All right, let's take a little bit of time and talk about the world into which Christ entered, all right? Keeping in mind, the creator of all of this chose to enter into this creation of his, all right? So um, maybe close your eyes. Let me describe a scene for you. It would be helpful if you close your eyes. You don't have to close your eyes. 
But oftentimes this view of Christmas, right, goes something like the following, right? There's a lone stable at the base of gently rolling hills, right? Can you picture this stable? In the background, the light of the distant city brings warmth to the scene, right? You've, you've seen this picture. There's a slight chill in the air, but, but that's offset by the coziness of the straw and the blankets strategically placed around the stable. In the foreground, shepherds are contently watching over their perfectly manicured sheep. There's a, a small little lamb playing with a young shepherd boy, and all is right with the world. Right? You, you've seen this picture of the manger scene. You might have this picture on your you know, screensaver, on your phone, to remind you of how beautiful an evening this was, and not to uh, poke too many holes into this, but there is a different reality into which Christ entered that night that we celebrate today, a, a much different reality. Let's, let's take a moment and remember what Mary and Joseph were going through. Mary and Joseph, they were under suspicion because Mary was pregnant, right? She, they had not yet been married, and yet Mary was pregnant. They were forced by the ruling government, the Romans, to uh, travel about 90 miles from their home in Nazareth to the town of Bethlehem. Mary was nine months pregnant during this journey, um, I don't pretend to know what that would be like, but a, a walking of about 90 miles, taking probably three to four days to get there. Um, the, the, the biblical text has no indication of a donkey that she was riding on. I know in our minds we see the donkey, right? And she's walking, or, or he's walking, leading the donkey, but that's actually not in the text. Uh, the couple was going to Bethlehem. Uh, to be counted uh, basically so that the Roman government had a more accurate way to tax people and so that most likely they could be in military service as needed for their children. So exhausted from this journey, they show up wanting to connect with family and being told essentially there's no room for you to be with us uh, in, in a normal guest room. You will have to stay at a different location. I won't go into what the inn was, but they had to stay with the animals, okay? So exhausted, they had to stay with the animals, perhaps because there was no room, perhaps because people didn't want to make room because of the suspicion surrounding them. It was a time of uncertainty for Joseph and for Mary, right? A time that was uh, uh, maybe a little chaotic, a time that they were staying in a dirty stable, right, having traveled this far. The reality of the situation was that all was not right with the world. Okay, so, I, I, you know, I, I will admit that at times I have this view of the Christmas morning, and the view of the Christmas morning actually is a view really that we get from Scripture back in Genesis 1 where all was right with God's creation, like, like things were good, but... Genesis 3 happens and the fall happens. And because of that, we have a time of chaos, a time of confusion, a time where everything was not right in the world. And yet in the midst of that, Galatians chapter 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Uh, my, my family and I were talking about that the other day. Like, why did Jesus come 
at the time that he came. I mean, like if he came like in 2022, right, you could have had some like social media posts. You could have had like, you know, John the Baptist preparing the way, right, through some YouTube videos or some other things, right? And yet Christ chose in his sovereignty, right, God chose to come 2,000 years ago when we didn't have the technology that we have today. I don't have an answer for all of that other than to say, according to Galatians chapter 4, this was the timing that God wanted for Christ to come. I have a feeling it, it relates to our second point, which is the mission that Christ had come to accomplish. But the truth of the matter is that he stepped into the here and now of our reality. Mary and Joseph were real people during real times, right? Let's not forget that. Jesus stepped into the ordinary aspect of our lives, into the mess, into the confusion, into the chaos. That's the time in which he willingly came. And for me, that becomes actually very settling to consider. But, but it's even more than that. So I want to go just a little bit deeper than that to say the reality of his time. I want to look a little bit at the reality of his family as well. So Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 3, both record some of the genealogy of Christ. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we're just going to look at a couple individuals from the genealogy of Christ. It's right there in Matthew chapter 1, the first few verses. Oftentimes we kind of skip over the genealogies. Uh, I'll admit that I've been guilty of that in the past. You kind of just brush over the names and kind of uh, get to the important things. Well, this is part of Scripture, and so as we look at the reality in which Christ stepped into, yes, 2,000 years ago, but there's some significance to the family lineage or the, the heritage that he had as well. Matthew chapter 1, I'm just going to highlight a few of these individuals. And really the point, let me give you the point before we even get into it. The point is that God has been weaving his sovereign hand throughout the course of human history. So we have a, a Bible study that we do, a men's Bible study, the first Wednesday of the month, a women's Bible study, the third Wednesday of the month. We're going through the book of Genesis. And walking through that Bible study uh, with, with the gentlemen as we walk through that uh, once a month, the significance of God's sovereign hand at work, when I look at genealogies like this one, I just can't look at them the same now. Because I know like, yeah, I remember that story of what God was doing uh, a few thousand years even prior to Christ's birth to prepare the way for the Savior. So let me just highlight a few individuals, all right? So Abraham, uh, verse 2, you see Abraham. Uh, you remember Abraham, right? Called uh, by God out of a pagan nation uh, along with his wife Sarah. They, God eventually changed their names. Uh, Abraham, of course, had some ups and downs. But let's not forget the fact that Abraham, on a couple of occasions, um, had his wife Sarah lie about who she was because she was his half-sister and so lie about that to save his own uh, life and, and also the fact that he kind of took matters into his own hand when God wasn't doing things according to the timeline that he thought right and so uh, Abraham has a child through Hagar whose name is Ishmael. We're still dealing with some of the ramifications of that even today but Abraham ultimately was called uh, righteous because of his belief in God. His son Isaac, okay, Isaac's the son of the promise. 
Uh, go on in the text there in verse 2. Isaac, son of the promise, he and Rebekah had jo- uh, Jacob and Esau. Um, Isaac was not necessarily always faithful in what he was doing. Uh, and uh, Isaac kind of favored one son. Uh, Rebekah favored another son. And that led to quite a few problems when we get down to Jacob. Okay? So we're, we're just three generations in there. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob was uh, known as a deceiver. Uh, Jacob took his brother's birthright uh, as the firstborn son. Then he stole the blessing from his father. Uh, if you read in the book of Genesis, you know because of that, Jacob actually leaves the promised land for about 20 years. Uh, when he's gone, he, he marries four different women for a number of reasons. They have 12 children together, and those become the, son, uh, the, the basically the nation of Israel. All that to say, the patriarchs didn't always act in very godly ways. Okay? All right? So we could leave it there with those three let, let me push a little deeper in a couple of these other ones. I shouldn't go there, but I'm going to go there. Okay. Um, verse 3. Judah, the father of Perez and Zahar by Tamar. Okay. I'm going to keep it PG rated because I know that we have a variety of people here. Um, take a little bit of time. Go read Genesis chapter 38. You will see God's sovereign hand at work. Okay. Uh, we think Judah and we think the line of Judah right? Christ is the line of Judah. Christ is from the tribe of Judah. And that's true, but let's not forget the reality of how we got here. Perez is actually the child of Judah with his daughter-in-law who deceived him, pretended to be a prostitute so that she could have children through him, right? Now, why do we bring that up? We bring that up because throughout Scripture, God's sovereign hand is seen at work, As though, let's not focus on the individual, let's focus on the God of Scripture and the work that he is doing, right? We could go on, like Ruth, the Moabite. You can look in Genesis chapter 19, how we got the Moabites. Um, You can look at King David. And yes, he was a man after God's own heart, but he took another man's wife, had that individual killed, and God is still weaving his sovereign plan through the messiness of people's lives. So what reality did Jesus step into? He stepped into the reality of a broken and fallen world, okay? Not just 2,000 years ago, but from Genesis 3 on, we see the brokenness of the world around us. And yet, and yet, Christ willingly, willingly stepped into that world Because he knew the mission that he had. So the reality of our mess and the reality of Christ's mission. So now that we've established that this world is a broken place, that even the line of Christ has issues, we want to look at the significance of Christ's mission. Let's go back to Luke chapter 2. Again, we're not walking through every one of the verses, but Luke chapter 2. We look in verses 10 and 11 and notice what is said by the angel to the shepherds. Verses 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day, uh, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The baby in the manger became the Savior on the cross. 
right? We, we sang about that. We rejoice in that. That is the hope that we have that we commemorate, right? The peace that he brings, the hope that he brings with his arrival. As we've already established, all was not right with the world. That's the very reason that Jesus had to come. Charles Spurgeon reflects on the significance of Christmas and the fact that Christ humbled himself, all right? So theologians talk about the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. The humiliation of Christ starts with the incarnation, taking on human flesh. And through that humiliation, he accomplishes the task that he came to do, ultimately resulting in his death. But he doesn't stay there. He is exalted because of it. As Spurgeon talks about it, this is what he says. He says, infinite and an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe, and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, king of angels, and yet the reputed son of Joseph, heir of all things, and yet the carpenter's despised son. Oh, the wonder of Christmas. The humiliation of Christ, the fact that he humbled himself in coming to earth. It's what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Uh, this morning we celebrate the incarnation, but we are quick not just to focus on the birth of Christ, but we look at the life the ministry of Christ, and ultimately the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, as he reflects on the significance of the Christian story, says this, In the Christian story, God descends to reascend. He comes down, down to the very roots and seabed of the nature he has created, but he goes down to come up again and bring the whole ruined world up with him. Christ had a mission. We just sang about it. Listen to the words of heart the herald angels sing. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness, light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. You know how hard it is to read lyrics without singing them, but okay, uh, that, that's beside the point. But we reflect on the significance of Christ's humility in coming, and we have joy in the fact of why he came was to provide a way for us to be right with God. So as we look at the reality of Christ's coming and the reality of his mission, I just want to encourage all of us. Like, we live in a very broken world. Like, we don't have to spend a lot of time, I think, talking about that or convincing you of that. But I find myself at times being unwilling to embrace the reality of the world around me. Okay? So I want you to think about that for a moment. Christ willingly came into his creation. Okay? 
willingly embracing what is happening to bring us out of this messiness of life. And there are times when I'm unwilling to face the reality that's before me, right? So I turn to other things, right? I distract myself from the reality of the world. Maybe it's entertainment, right? Maybe it's I just want to unwind and I just want to forget about the mess in the world. Maybe for some of us, we turn to alcohol, maybe drugs, maybe pornography, maybe unhealthy relationships to try to avoid the reality that we see around us when in fact Christ came into that reality to pull us out of that, to give us hope, to give us new life. So my encouragement to you today is try to embrace the reality around you, not to be stuck in it, right? But to see the hope offered through the Savior that new life is available and through that new life can actually then help others who are going through these realities as well. Like, we don't have time. I need to be in a right relationship with with God for my own soul, but I, I think we can make a pretty good argument that I need to be in a right relationship with God so I can help others as well. And you need to be in a right relationship with God so that you can help others as well, right? We, we see this so many times in our lives, right? But we're so busy at times just getting caught up in the messiness of our own lives. And we get so self-focused, right, that, that we need help when, in fact, we should be helping others, okay? Now, Scripture gives us hope, right? We bear one another's burdens so that later we can help others bear those burdens as well. So let's follow the example of Christ by surrendering to the Savior of the world and through that, Him working through us for the glory of God. Let me, let me finish kind of with this thought from John Piper. I thought it's a very fitting way, I think. And then we're going to sing joy to the world hopefully really rejoicing in the reality of what Christ has done on our behalf. But let me close with these words from Piper, who just, I think, summarizes the significance of the incarnation and the meaning of Christmas. This is what he says. The meaning of Christmas is that what is good and precious in your life need never be lost. What is evil and undesirable can be changed. The fears that the few good things that make you happy are slipping through your fingers and the frustrations that the bad things you hate about yourself or your situation can't be changed. Those fears And those frustrations are what Christmas came to destroy. It is God's message of hope this Advent that what is good need never be lost. And what is bad can be changed. The devil works to take the good and bring the bad. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? Amen. So as we sing joy to the world, may we truly rejoice 
And a Savior who didn't just come, but a Savior who died so that we can have life and fullness of life through Christ our Lord. Let me pray and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you, Christ, that you willingly stepped in to the mess in this broken world. God, we would never desire you. And yet you came. And we thank you, God, as we remember today a baby that was born 2,000 years ago that is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. May we walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've called us to. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.